Hello there and welcome. Gary Cook here with my first series of podcasts for the Senior Times. Now, you may know me from Apre Match, but I've taken a slight change of direction because I'm interviewing some of Ireland's most famous sports stars. My guest today is simply a colossus of Irish sport, a legendary leader of Irish rugby and of the British and Irish lines, and so much more besides. It's my great pleasure to introduce Willie John McBride. Thank you, thank you. Okay, well, uh, Willie John, there's a lot to, to, to get through. You've had a pretty extraordinary life in, in rugby and, and beyond uh, and so on. Uh, but if I could start just for the listeners by getting a little bit of background. Um, you grew up on a farm in Money Glass in County Antrim. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, about your upbringing? Yeah, I, I, uh, I was born in 1940, so I, I, I'm an oxygenarian now. And, uh, you know, I have great memories of that. And I was on the farm until I was 18. And uh, sadly, my father died when I was four. So they were pretty tough years. Those were war years. But my mother was a, a very strong woman, very determined uh, and a great manager. There were five of us in the family. And uh, I was one of four boys. So we all had little jobs to do. We all had our part to play. In, in very tough years, and she, she was a great woman, and she kept everything going. Yeah, I remember having to milk cows before I went to school in the morning, and that was a three-mile walk and three-mile back again. So, you know, there were good years. I read uh, somewhere uh, in one of the in one of your interviews uh, that, is it true you once stacked corn all night and then walked the three miles to school the next day? Oh, yeah. My mother, she was a very uh, very religious lady, and she certainly wouldn't let anybody do work on a Sunday. And I remember a very <laughs> poor year in the harvest. And she, uh, Sunday was a great day, sunny, uh, lovely sunshine. And I remember about 2 o'clock on Monday morning, she came into our bedrooms and said, right, right, boys, up we get. The sun, is, the moon is shining and the corn is dry. Let's go out and stack the corn. And we all had to get out of bed and we went out and stack the corn. And then, of course, come 8 o'clock in the morning, we had our breakfast, and we had to, I had to walk to school back again that day. But that, that was just the way life was then, and I, I think it, it, it did as good. It was good training. What kind of values did your mother instill in, in your family? Well, she, she was a lady who, she had great determination, and I think maybe I got a little bit of that as well. She had tremendous determination, and she she never gave up. She never gave up trying, and, you know, Everybody has down days, and she must have had many down days. But she always kept her head up and she kept us going, which was good. <clears throat> and, you know, they, they were tough times. There weren't many luxuries in those days. You know, I was brought up when there wasn't running water on the farm, and I was brought up when there was no electricity on the farm. So, you know, they, they were tough days. And I remember my mother saying at one stage, you know, we'll never have any money, but I will always guarantee that we have food. And, you know, I can, it's, it's funny when you think back those, what, what it would be then, about 70 years. Uh, it's funny what sticks in your mind. And I remember her saying that one night. In a sense, it must have sort of prepared you for your, the, the career that was to come in many ways, to, to grow up with something that was quite tough. Well, uh, there, were, there were many tough days, and there's no doubt about it. When I look back now, we maybe didn't think it was, it was great at that time, but when I think back now, we had a tremendous sort of training in life in so many ways. Uh, and she, she sort of taught us very important principles in life. 
uh, which I think I think stuck with us all that time. Now you didn't start playing rugby, Willie John, until you were seventeen. Uh, and wh- why was that? Well, <clears throat> you know, as I say, as as we, we my mother was a great organizer, and she all, we all had little jobs to do. And I remember my job was uh, when I came back from school, I had to pump the water out of a well with a hand pump and pump the water out of the well for the cattle in the, in the shed and the, and the byre uh, in the evenings. And uh, that was my responsibility. And we all had different responsibilities. Somebody else had to carry the hay down from the shed, down for the cattle when they were inside in the winter. We all had different jobs, which was good. So really, there wasn't any time. There wasn't any time at school for playing football or rugby or anything like that. And then you started playing rugby at 17 for, for Ballymena. Did you go straight to Ballymena Rugby Club? Yeah, I went. I joined Ballymena, I think it was night, the season of 1958, just after I left school. And I was quite struck by something that uh, I saw you said when you were talking about, I, I'm not sure if he was a chairman, he was certainly one of the elders at the club, a man called Paddy Owens. And he, he, he said something quite profound to you very early on, didn't he? Yeah, something that really stuck to me. I remember when we came in, I'd played maybe a couple of games, and I remember he called, he called with me, or he, he came over to me in the dressing room afterwards, and he said, do you know why we play rugby here? And I sort of looked at him, and, and, and then he said, well, I'll tell you why we play rugby here. He said, that gate into our, our ground was called Eden Park. And he said, that gate is open. He said, it's open to every, all people, all colors, all creeds, all everybody, provided they're, they're prepared to accept our, our principles. Uh, and he said, what we try to do here is teach young men uh, tolerance, respect of one another, and we teach them a number of other things. He says, we teach them how to be successful because that's very important in life. And he said, probably even more important, he says, we teach them how to cope with, with disappointment. And he said, there are many disappointments in life. You're not going to win all the time. And he says, we teach them how to cope with that. And, you know, when I think about that now these days, and I see all the problems that there are and all the mental problems that there are, you know, I, I think that rugby football has been a great, a great blessing in that it still does that. Maybe not as with the professional game now. Those principles maybe have slipped a bit, but there were great principles to have in those days. And uh, I remember he also said, you know, this club is about community, and he said it is about family as well. And, you know, all those things were good, and I thought, well, that's the game I want to stay with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it sounds like a kind of very strong community spirit that you would have would have had there with a lot of yeah, as you say, very very strong, very good values, uh, and it obviously uh, stuck with you and worked for you very because very quickly you progressed through the ranks, and within five years you were playing rugby for Ireland. Yeah, well, you know, I started playing when I was just over seventeen, and four years later I was playing for Ireland and the Lions actually. Because I went I know, to Lions well, tour in that first year as well. Well, can I ask you about your debut uh, in 1962 uh, at Twickenham against England? How did you find that? I mean, was that a big step up from what you were playing with in, in, in Ballymena, or did you take to it like a, a sort of a duck to water? <laughs> well, well, obviously it was, a, it was a huge step up. But, you know, one of the things that was amazing, I had never seen an international game because television was not a big thing in those days. 
And uh, I had never seen a game. I'd never been to a game, an international game in my life until I actually played in that one at Twickenham. And, you know, if you can imagine playing with no crowds at Eden Park, uh, you know, there was a man and his dog in the touchline. Uh, and, you know, the Ulster games, the provincial games, didn't really attract a lot of people in those days. It was a very amateur game. And uh, then to suddenly run out at Twickenham with, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 people, it was, it was a rather daunting experience to me, a young lad from Money Glass who had never been in London in his life before. So it, it was a huge, huge occasion. But I must say, a very exciting one, and one that I had worked pretty hard to get there. We were beaten and beaten well, well that day. But, you know, it's funny, when you get to that level, you want more of it and more of it and more of it. And I think the more you play, the more you want to be there. So it was a great experience. Yeah, I know you, you, you lost the game 16-0, but it, I saw the... the um some of the highlights on Pathé News, uh, and it looked like a pretty, pretty intense match. That England side was it was a good side, yeah. Oh, it was a good team. Uh, you know, really, when you think of it, you know, Little Ireland. Really, we shouldn't be beating teams like that, and yet we were able to sort of match them. And indeed, as the years went on, I have quite a good, I have quite a good record against England, and I have quite a good record at Twickenham uh, as the years went on. So. You know, things improved from there on, which was terrific. And I think it's brilliant what Ireland has done, particularly in the last few, the last number of years in the professional world, that we have beaten all the Southern Hemisphere teams. We've, we can beat England, we can beat Wales, we've won two Grand Slams. I think it's, it's absolutely amazing what we've achieved. Terrific. Uh, and of course, in your own rugby career, obviously, uh, as you say, uh, you didn't just make your debut for Ireland in 62, you also made your debut for the Lions as well. Uh, in in South Africa, uh, and uh, how was that? What were Lions tours like? I mean, what was the Lions setup like for you in in '62? Well, they they they, you know, I I sort of say that they were proper Lions tours in those days, because we were we were gone for about three odd months, and uh, you know there were only thirty players. There was virtually two teams who went off, and we played in Kenya. We played in those days. It was Rhodesia and we played South Africa. We were gone for about three months. But if you can imagine, it was a great training. I went there as a boy, really. I was 21, and uh, I went as a boy. And I can tell you, I came back as a man because there were tough days. You know, can you imagine playing in, in South Africa? And there was an altitude problem because when you go up to the high veld, it, it was, the air was pretty thin, so it was a tough experience to play up at, those, at that altitude. But, you know, you learn to cope with all these things. But if you can imagine 30 men or 30 young men going away for three months, it can be pretty pretty tired, tiring. And I can tell you, you became very tolerant. You had to become very tolerant uh, as the days went by. And, you know, it was amazing how some guys could cope with it. And it was also absolutely staggering how some guys couldn't cope with it. Uh, you know, there were guys who got homesick. There were guys who couldn't handle being away from home. It was uh, unbelievable. But I can tell you, I went as a young man at 21, and I was very fortunate. And I came back, I think, as a man. Uh, it really was a tremendous experience, a tremendous experience. And in those days, the ethos of the game, you know, was to take the game to all the little corners of the country uh, and to talk about where we came from, how we got there, and what, it, what the game meant to us. Because in those days, the, the, the rugby, rugby was number one in South Africa.
Sure, I know. It's, it was it's effectively the national game, uh, and it's it's the barometer for all young men. Really want to be want to be a Springbok. So I was going to ask you, what was your initial sort of uh, 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 impressions of South Africa? Well, it, it's a tremendous country, a very very diverse country, uh, and you know the, the the one thing that stuck out uh, uh, very sadly was the apartheid system. You know where the blacks weren't allowed to sort of come into hotels or indeed use white facilities. They all had their separate buses. There were separate toilets. There were all sorts of things. It was a dreadful system. And I saw the worst of that in 1962. And the great thing was, as the years went on, because I had two other tours there, things got better and better. Even education got better. Uh, And, of course, we are where we are today. Uh, But it was nice to see that develop over those years. It really was. And you, you you toured as well with the Lions in uh, the mid-60s, I think 66 in uh, New Zealand, uh, a series that you didn't win. And then you, you went back to South Africa in 68 uh, and you I think you, you lost that uh, series too. And by 1971, I was going to ask you about New Zealand uh, when the Lions are going to New Zealand. You decided pretty much that you weren't that interested in going. Isn't that correct? Yeah, well, you know, I I was running alongside my rugby career. I was in banking. So the two of those ran together. It was an amateur game, obviously. So I had my, obviously, my banking career uh, wasn't, you know, I it, it maybe wasn't getting the attention that it should do because I was spending so much time away with rugby at either the provincial level or the international level. And I decided, right, I've had three tours and, uh, you know, really I should be giving more attention to my banking career and trying to get promotion there uh, because at the end of the day, they're going to be paying my pension. Uh, and I remember I, Carwin James for the first time ever. I should have said that in the first three tours, we didn't have an official coach. It was really crazy, crazy stuff. The game was organized by, by just by the players and by the captain in the first two tours. The third tour, the 68 tour, which we did a little bit better, we luckily had Ronnie Dawson as an assistant manager, and he got a whistle and and started to coach us, which was great, and that was a first big help, and really was a stepping stone to the 71 tour, uh, which was brilliant. But in 71, to finish my story there, there was a little Welshman called Carwin James, sadly no longer with us, and he uh, was appointed coach for the first time in the 71 tour. Now, in, in the 70s, uh, we had many great backs, particularly from Wales. Wales were beating us all. And uh, I can remember he, he called me one day and he said, I, I would love to have lunch. And we had lunch. And I remember we sat and he said, I really want to talk to you about the forwards that we're taking to New Zealand because it's a tough place to go. And you're playing out there with Ireland. And he said, I'd like to talk to you. What, who are the players in the four countries that you would take with you? to New Zealand, and we had a chat about this. And I said, well, for the first time, anybody like a coach has ever talked to me about this. And so I was all pleased. And then at the end, he said, did I hear a rumor that you, you may not be available for the tour? And I said to him exactly what I've just said, that, you know, I'll have to give more attention to my career. And uh, I remember he sat back and, and he smoked cigarettes. And I remember he took a smoke of a cigarette and he looked at me and he said, but, Willie John, he said, I need you. 
And I remember I sat back then at that stage because nobody had ever said that to me in my life before. And, uh, you know, and certainly the bank had never said that to me. And after I left, when I left that lunch, I was convinced that I was going to New Zealand in 71. And what a good decision that was because we beat them in the series, which is tremendous. It was a very, very tough tour. And, you know, we haven't beaten them since in a, in a series in a game. In a, in a series, in a, on a tour. It's the one and only we, tour that, that the Lions won, yeah, in New Zealand, yeah. We haven't, we haven't won a series there since, and that's, what, 40-odd years ago. I saw uh, some of the comments by yourself and by others uh, saying, you know, that some of the rugby at times you played was exhilarating, uh, and I presume it was, because, I mean, particularly with the, with the Welsh uh, back line, you know, Barry John and Gareth Edwards and, and Gerald Williams and so on and, and, and our own Mike Gibson. I mean, it sounds like a... David Duckham as well. It sounds like a pretty hot-to-handle backline, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's one of my proud boasts to be able to say that I played with that backline. It really was terrific because when the ball was kicked or knocked down the field, you didn't even have to look over your shoulder. You knew that the next play would be in front of you again. And they were absolutely outstanding. You know, here were players who had all the skills of playing a ball game. You know, they could find space, they made space, they had pace, they had change of pace, they had great hands, they had great feet. They, they were really outstanding, and what a pleasure it was to play with them. And, you know, I think, I think they rocked New Zealand. New Zealand learned a lot from that tour. And what was your tactic? I mean, was it, was it to try and, you know, move the ball quickly, have a quick back row, and then get the ball out to... Uh, out of the backs and, and use the backs? Was that the tactic? Well, I remember, well, with that back line, we obviously wanted to use the ball as much as we could. And I remember Carvin James, uh, just at the beginning of the tour, we were having chats about various things. And I remember he said, you know, then, he said, when we get the ball, we kick it. And he said, I don't know why we kick it back to them. He said, we are not going to kick it. And he said, if you kick it, I will be asking you why you've kicked it. And he made us think. And he said, when we get the ball, he said, we are going to run at them. And that's exactly what we tried to do. And I remember I led the forwards in that tour. And I remember him saying to me, you know, all we want is the ball. Just get us the ball. Any way you can, get us the ball. And we will do the rest outside. And that's really about all we did. Those were about the tactics we had. Just get the ball and let the backs do the rest. It really was tremendous. But to see people like Gareth Edwards and Barry John and Mike Gibbs, well, that whole back line, they were absolutely outstanding. They were tremendous. Was uh, Mike Gibson Ireland's greatest ever back, do you think? Oh, yeah. He, he, he was absolutely outstanding in those years. I would say that 71 tour uh, must have been his peak. He really was outstanding in that, playing with that sort of quality around him. But, uh, you know, from an Irish point of view, he was that step ahead of all of us, really, in those years, because he was fitter than us, and he was never... You know, we all try... I always had this thing in my head, never accept being second best. Certainly, Mike Gibson never accepted being second best. <laughs> he always wanted to be the best, and he worked so hard at it, and he thought so much about his game. And, you know, all of us, we learned a, probably a lot from his attitude uh, and preparation. He really was outstanding and one of the great players of the Irish, the Irish scene over all the years, probably. Yeah, it's incredible uh, to watch him on, on YouTube, uh, as, as I frequently do, look at reruns of old matches. You know, his acceleration 
uh, and running are just absolutely unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like how quickly he could take off. Yes, he, he was terrific. Absolutely terrific. And you know, one of the things was he played in the centre of the field because we were playing Barry John in 71. And he played in the centre of the field. And you know, quite honestly, when I think about it now over the years, he was a much better centre than he was an out half. Uh, I think he just had that little bit of more yard of space to, to, to work in uh, in New Zealand when he was playing in the centre. Of course, he was playing with that other great centre, John Dawes, who was the captain. It really was a pleasure to watch him. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Coming soon on The Senior Times, it's Rugby Legends. Join Gary Cook as he meets some of Ireland's greatest ever players. Listen on as the legendary Willie John McBride recounts tales of the 1974 Lions Tour to South Africa and the now infamous 99 call. Ollie Campbell recalls ousting Tony Ward from the Irish team and how it was bigger news than the Pope's visit. Former Irish and spring boxer legend John Robbie tells us why he was wrong to go to South Africa and find out what it's really like to be facing down the giants of international rugby with Mick Galway, Mick Quinn and Hugo McNeil. That's Rugby Legends, coming soon on The Senior Times. For Ireland, obviously you didn't win any uh, Triple Crowns or anything in the 60s, but you did have some very good results. You said uh, Twickenham and so on. You also beat... Australia on a tour in 1967. Um, and then around 1972, you had a team that looked like uh, it might go on to to win a, a Triple Crown. You know, Johnny Maloney, Fergus Slattery, Tom Grace, of course, Mike Gibson as well, and yourself, uh, and so on. Uh, and then you, you beat France in Paris, as, as you remember well, and uh, then uh, England and Twickenham, it all looked good. And then politics reared their heads because of the troubles. Uh, Wales and Scotland obviously didn't come uh, to, to Dublin that year. That must have been a terrible disappointment for you and the players. Oh, it was a big disappointment because, you know, one of the things, one of the things is to win your away games. And, you know, rarely did we ever do that in those days. And we had one or two away, or two away games. So not to be able to play our two home games and we were playing well. We had developed a very good team at that stage. And uh, it was so disappointing. And many a time since, when I, I, I think back over the years, many a time since, I always wonder, would we have won those two games and perhaps won the Grand Slam and the Triple Crown? But, you know, we, we did win the championship when I was captain of 74, which was great. And did you think that... that um the Welsh and the Scottish teams were justified in not coming over? Because I know 
you know, this was just after, you know, Bloody Sunday, and it was also after, I think, the British Embassy in, in Dublin on Stephen's Green. So can you understand why they didn't come, or, or were you annoyed, were you upset uh, that, they, that they kind of refused to come? Well, personally, I was very upset, and I'll tell you why I was very upset. Uh, you know, everybody in Ireland, and one of the great things about Irish rugby is it has stayed united all through the years. The Irish Rugby Union will probably be in force in 100, for 150 years in the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, we had done so much uh, over those troubled years to keep rugby going and make sure that rugby wasn't uh, cancelled within our own setup. And then we were let down by people from outside. And, you know, uh, yes, we were very disappointed. And people were very disappointed. There was a lot of, a lot of very annoyed people right throughout Ireland, not only rugby people, but other people. Uh, so, yes, we were very disappointed that they made those decisions. And, you know, England came in the end. And, you know, the big difference was that the Scottish Rugby Union and the Welsh Rugby Union, they made the decision and didn't consult the players, and they should have consulted the players, because at the end of the day, they were the people who were going to be out on the field. Uh, whereas England, England consulted the players. England came over to play uh, then in the Five Nations, and it was a big decision, and you had a big hand to play in that, didn't you? You spoke to to David Duckham, didn't you? Yeah, it was it was amazing. I had obviously got to know David Duckham in '71 uh, when we were in New Zealand, and I got to know him very well. And you know, it's it's funny how you sort of uh, he, he was a winger and I was a second row forward. It's funny how you strike up you sort of friendships, uh, and we we were friendly even to this day. But uh, I remember he phoned me uh, while this was going on, and he said, look, I'm a bit concerned uh, because, he said, I've just recently got married and my wife is not so keen that I should go to Ireland to play. And I said, oh, David, I'm sorry to hear that. And I said, as a matter of interest, uh, you know, what a, you know I, I, I'm very disappointed in that because I said, you must remember, David, that the English team keep changing. And the one name that always goes on the sheet is yours. And I said, if you call this off, the game's off. Because all the other players will say, well, look, senior players called off. We're not going either. And I said, it's very important. You could never live without the rest of your life. And I said, it's very important that you're in Dublin. And I said, would you speak to Jean, which is his wife? Or could you speak to Jean and say, look, if I bring you to Dublin well, is it okay if we go and I will bring you as a wife? And those things didn't happen in those days, in amateur days. And I said, if you bring Jean over and you come, uh, our wives will look after her for the weekend. And he came back to me very shortly after that. He said, okay, it's on. And Jean came over to Dublin at that time. And I remember I remember the sort of uh, administrators of the game saying, why is Duggan's wife here? And they didn't realize if, if Duggan's wife hadn't been there, the game wouldn't have been played. And, you know, it's funny, he and I have talked a lot about that over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just had, had a, we developed a friendship that has lasted since then. And, you know, it, it was just great that he did that. But I admired the, the English Rugby Union for what they did, because it must have been a tough, a tough decision to make. And yet they did it. They came and all the players came, which was terrific. I remember I was at that match as a as a as a nine year old boy, uh, and I remember the there was a huge, huge, and elongated round of applause for England. It was really quite an emotional moment. 
It was, yeah. I, I remember, you know, it's amazing England came over. And, of course, we love, we would love to have beaten England all the time. But I remember on that occasion we were in the dressing room and Tom Kiernan was the captain at that time. And uh, I remember we were in the dressing room and England had gone out and we had heard the reception that they'd got and we waited and waited. And, you know, all we wanted to do was get out and get at them, you know, which was great. And, of course, we went out and we did beat them that day, which was terrific. It made it even a, an, an even more special day, which was terrific. But they were great. They, 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 they were a great bunch of guys, you know. And John Pullen was their captain at that time, who was another good friend of mine. Yes, I believe he had a, he had a really good quote around that time. He says, we may not be great, but at least we show up. <laughs> That's right, that's right. No, he was very funny. He was very funny. But he, he was a good, another good guy, yeah. Uh, and there was a huge security detail. I know uh, they were met off the plane pretty much by, by armoured trucks and so on. Um, is it true that you had an armed guard outside your room in, in the Shelburne Hotel? Is that right? Well, there was, there was uh, some, I don't know. This all started in, in Twickenham. Uh, when the, at that time the vice the vice president of the Irish Rugby Union, he came to me and he said, you know, there's been a, a, a warning about your security, your safety, and uh, he said you will have a, a sort of guard with you uh, for the rest of the weekend, and that seemed to continue even when I came back for the next games, that I had uh, I had a guard there. Outside my door at uh, in Lansdowne Road, or at uh, it was the Shelburne Hotel we used in those days, and uh, this guy used to come. He was with me, shadowed me for quite a bit of that time. And you know, I could never figure that out because I kept saying to myself, "I haven't done any harm to anybody. I don't have any political views or anything like that." You know, why why is this happening? But you know, it's one of those scary things. You don't know why. You don't know why. And I I kept saying. Uh, you know, is this real? And he said, "Well, we don't know. We don't know if it's real." But I could never, I could never understand how I could go to the border and come up here, and uh, and the guard would suddenly would suddenly disappear. You know, which was amazing. And did you ever fear for your own safety at that time, Willie John? Well, yes. I, you see, I was a bank manager towards the end, so I there there were added difficulties, and and. Uh, you know, I did. I, I, it was something that we were, we, we had to sort of prepare for as bank managers and as bank people, because we had other responsibilities or responsibilities to staff. I remember, I think at one stage I had thirty odd staff. You've got to be responsible for them as well. So you had to think through that all, as well. So you, you know, yes, I was worried about my security, on, on quite a lot, over those years. The tour of tours, Willie John, I think you know what's coming. 74 in South Africa. Uh, and the tour was, I mean, the stuff of legend. Uh, in some way, it's infamous. It was also uh, quite a bit of controversy, as you know. Tell us a little bit about uh, before you went in the, the sort of anti-apartheid uh, 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 sort of uh, activity that was going on at that time. Was that, was that uncomfortable for the players? Yeah, it was uncomfortable for rugby football, really. Uh, you know, because it built up and built up and uh, became quite a, you know, there was quite a bit of disruption uh, before that tour. And it was difficult. And I remember it was amazing because uh, I remember the, in those days, the committee who ran the Lions was called the Four Home Unions, one from each country. And uh, 
I remember they sort of realized that there was difficulties maybe in the tour even taking part. And they, I remember at that time because I was quite a senior player, obviously, and I, I was involved a little bit in some of the happenings that there were around that time. And I remember they went to the president of the South African Rugby Board and said, look, we're having difficulty here, but maybe if we could get a game against the blacks in South Africa and a game against the coloreds in South Africa, we might be able to swing the tour. And, uh, you know, that would have been an impossibility, really, in those days, or regarded as an impossibility because of the apartheid system. And uh, I remember Danny Craven, who was the, the chairman of the, inter of the, the rugby board in South Africa, he said, well, leave it with me. And, you know, within a week, he, had, he came back and he said, yes, I've been to the government, I've talked through, uh, through with them, and they're prepared to let that happen. And the tour then took off from there. But that didn't stop the anti-apartheid uh, movement. It still carried on. But, uh, you know, when I think back now, we were under tremendous pressure as players. And I remember when we met in London, uh, they gathered up outside and there was quite a lot of activity on, on anti in the anti-apartheid movement. But I, you know, we, I have personally have never got involved in politics. I never saw sport and politics mixing. Uh, and whenever I heard about the developments that we could play against the blacks and the coloreds, I thought, well, that's positive stuff. That has never happened before. It would be nice to be involved in that. And uh, I remember uh, talking to the players, and we decided that, we, yes, there's no problem. Nobody cried off, and uh, we went, and we went as one group. It was tremendous. And uh, that was probably one of the greatest experiences in, in probably when I look back over my rugby career, because I remember going to play against the blacks. And the blacks, you know, were made up of endless tribes of Bantu. And I remember being taken into this township outside Port Elizabeth to play that game. And, you know, I remember they sort of reckoned that there was 100,000 at the game. I would imagine there was probably 150,000 at the game. It was an amazing experience and an amazing experience for us. Uh, to go out and you had a hundred and hundred odd thousand people of, of black faces in the stands, which was entirely different from what we'd seen in South Africa before. It was an amazing, and they called them, I think they called them the leopards. And I remember we ran out first onto the ground and we got a tremendous reception and we were in the middle of the pitch. And I remember they brought out a leopard and they walked this leopard around on a chain right around the team. It was a bit intimidating, I can tell you. But it was what a tremendous game it was. Tremendous. And, you know, when I think back now, it shone a little light on what happened in South Africa. It was a change. It was a little light. Now, I know apartheid didn't disappear for a number of years after that, but it was the beginning of a change. And it was nice to be involved in that. And I know the team itself, or the, the, the squad of players that really bonded incredibly and it was, you know, socially uh, a very successful tour as well uh, as a tour that you, you won 3-0. Uh, uh, from a social point of view, it was very successful. And why do you think that was? Well, you know, there, there were a number of reasons why, really, because when I think about it, the coach of that tour was uh, Sid Miller, who was my own club man. And he had been on tour in South Africa. I played with him in 1962. So he knew South Africa inside out. He knew South African rugby inside out. Uh, and he did a tremendous amount of work in picking the right people. You know, I know there were other people from various countries in the selection committee. But I remember he talked to me about various guys. And he knew them as well. And, and he, he, he picked the right team 
to go to South Africa was terrific because he knew the job that we had to do. It's a very physical game in South Africa, and he had to pick the right guys that could could withstand this. Because in those days, you was... must remember, it was an amateur game. And, you know, we were playing against Boer farmers, the same as in New Zealand we were playing against the All Blacks in those days were all from farming backgrounds. And the Boer farmers, they were tough, tough guys. And, you know, you must remember in 1974, South Africa had never been beaten in a test in a test series. And we were the first to do that. And it was nice to do that. But there were a number of other reasons. We had good players. Gareth Edwards was still there. Phil Bennett was in instead of Barry John. Uh, there was Ian McGeegan had appeared. Uh, there was J.J. Williams, who sadly died just recently. We had Andy Irvine, the Scottish fullback. We played him in the wing. J.P.R. Williams was still there. Uh, you know, so there was still the, the, the sort of the back line that they actually scored more tries than they did in 71. It was really tremendous. Uh, but not only that, we, we, I remember talking to the team and saying, the only, way that we, that I, the only reason I've gone to South Africa is to win, to win the Test Series. And I said, we can do that if we stick together and we, we work hard. And, you know, we had a remarkable bunch of men. Their loyalty was unbelievable. And that's a word we don't hear nowadays. But their loyalty was tremendous. Their loyalty to each other was tremendous. And their loyalty to me and to Sid Miller was, was outstanding. It was really terrific. And you must remember that 22 games we played, we never lost one. We drew one and won the rest. And, you know, that's, that takes a tremendous effort from 30 men who are living together for three months uh, to keep that concentration and that loyalty and that will to win. It really was tremendous when I think of it, that what we achieved. Now, obviously the tour had, uh, had a thing called the 99, and I'm wondering, uh, I'd like to hear it in your own words, Willie John, what was the 99? <laughs> well, it was amazing because, uh, you know, I'd been in those previous tours and I'd seen, you know, I, I should have said that, you know, I, we, never had inter we never had neutral referees. I played in five Lions tours. I never had a neutral referee at any time. They were all local guys. And, you know, that's a big, a big responsibility for them because they're, they're refereeing in their own country. And, you know, there were things that weren't dealt with. And I can remember in 1962, there was an out-half from England called Richard Sharp, and they, they literally just punched him and broke his jaw. And nothing was ever done about it. Just say, oh, hard luck. But it was an intentional punch, and they broke his jaw. So he was out of the test side. And, you know, there were other instances. Remember, in 1966, David Watkins got roughed up and, and, and was taken, had a, had a stand-aside injured for a period of time. Uh, the, the Welsh out-half... Uh, I remember in 1968, Barry John, uh, they, they have a fancy name now of, of a thing called a spear tackle where they lift him up and dump him onto the ground and they smashed his collarbone and he was out of the test side. So, you know, I'd seen all these things and there's no doubt about it that there were guys playing in those provincial games uh, who went out to take players out of the game. And I decided in 1974, uh, I got a phone call from outside and said, when they had picked the Eastern Province side, which was before the test, they said, uh, there's a couple of guys in this test, uh, this this team, who are not there for your health, for the good of your health. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's fair enough. So I, I thought, how will we deal with this? Because the referees weren't dealing with it, and there were silly things happening in provincial games, you know, 
guys getting kneed, guys getting stamped on the ground. There were all sorts of silly things happening. And, you know, when that happens on a, on, on a, on a rugby field, there are individuals who want to sort out their own problem. And I always saw that as wrong because they're, they're, they're not uh, paying attention to playing the game. And I remember in 74, I said to them, look, if this has happened, I told them what exactly had happened. And I said, if there's anything happens in this game, we're all in it. We just get stuck in and we just beat everybody we can for about two minutes or maybe one minute. And uh, I remember saying there was a funny solution or conclusion to that because I remember after I'd spoke to, to the team and I said the answer that, that will be given will be 999, which is emergency. And then we decided that that was too long. We just cut it to 99, which is an ice cream. And uh, I remember at the, when I had finished talking, I said, is everybody satisfied as to what we're, what we're doing? Uh, or is anybody any questions? And I remember Phil Bennett, who's a small little guy, and Phil put up his hand, and I said, yes, Phil. He said, am I involved in this? <laughs> and I said, Phil, listen, there's 15 of us on the field. We're all involved in it. And really, it was for the forwards. It was nothing to do with the backs. Uh, but, you know, you can't, you can't say people you can be excused. We're all in it. But that was a funny part of that. But I remember it did happen in that game. We won the ball to line out. It was passed by Gareth Edwards right out to, to Phil Bennett. And after he passed the ball, this guy comes through and just belted Barry uh, Gareth and knocked him flying onto the ground. And luckily, Gareth is a resilient little guy and he got up and shook himself. But when that happened, everybody literally got stuck into the guys beside him. And there was four or five uh, of these team, this team were literally lying on the ground and they couldn't understand. <laughs> they couldn't understand what had happened. And of course, the referee was totally amazed. He didn't know what to do. And he couldn't send them all off. So, you know, it was amazing. But I can tell you, it sorted out a lot of problems. And they saw for the first team time that the Lions weren't going to take this nonsense anymore. And we had no more problem. What I'm amazed at, Willie John, is that listening to some of the South African players talking about it uh, as though butter wouldn't melt in their mouth, as though they were somehow surprised by this, as if they'd never done anything themselves. They were no shrinking violets. You did the right thing. Well, I, I'm I'm happy enough with it. It's a pity because uh, it's a pity that you have to resort to that sort of thing. But I think that we had seen enough, at least I had seen enough, and we had taken enough in those days. And really, the rugby I blame the rugby authorities didn't do anything about it. And, you know, even since then into the, the, the professional world, you know, when you think of what happened to uh, Brian O'Driscoll when he was captain of the last Lions Tour in New, in New Zealand, you know, they didn't, they didn't deal with that. Nothing was done. Nothing was dealt with that. And there's no doubt about it that it was an intentional, it was an intentional injury. So there was still not happening. But it's just that, that sort of thing happens in rugby. And I just felt that we dealt with it. We dealt with it. It was a pity we had to do that, but we did. And uh, I think that we got a lot of respect for that from the players. You drew the final match 13-13. Uh, Fergus Slattery, he got a try at the end, or was it a try? Was that ball grounded, uh, Woody John? There's no doubt in my mind that uh, it was grounded, uh, I, because I wasn't within probably three or four yards of when he, where he grounded the ball between his legs. Uh, the referee said he was unsighted, and he didn't see the ball being grounded, and he, he disallowed the try. But there's no doubt in my mind that it was a try.
and we would have won. We would have won that game as well. You would have won the series four 0 as you, as it was, you won three 0 Well, the, the series good. was won then anyway. Yeah, the, the series was won. It's just sure. a pity we didn't have the, the full quota of uh, being uh, having all wins. But there you are. At least we were unbeaten in the whole tour. Was it a hometown decision? Do you think? Well, will we ever know? Will we ever know? I remember on a couple of occasions with homegrown referees, I remember one day when I felt that we were being terribly uh, sort of cheated at times. I remember saying to him after the game, you know, you were very tough on us today and you gave away three penalties inside their 22 and got got them to kick kick out of it. Uh, And I said, really, those decisions were wrong. And he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, I've got to live in this country when you've got to gone. So he didn't have to say any more to me. <laughs> Your free travel card can be used on all expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Willie John, you retired uh, from international rugby after 63 caps in 1975. You got your first try against France in your second last game. What was it like scoring a try? Well, I'd like to think I was involved in a few tries over the years, but uh, yeah, that that was amazing. But it was just one of those things. You know, forwards, second row forwards didn't really score tries in those days. We left that to the back. So it, it, it was amazing. I think it was Tom Grace who was caught sort of not far from the line, although I keep telling people it was a long way from the line. But uh, and he, he sort of flicked the ball inside to nobody, and I happened to just be in the right place at the right time. And I think that I, I ran through the, the French fullback, a guy called Pierre Villepreux. I think I ran through him and knocked him flying and, and grounded the ball. But there's a very uh, there's a very funny story to follow that up because uh, I remember there was a lot of people ran out and there was a lot of things went on that day when I scored my try. And some years later, as a matter of fact, about four or five years ago, that happened in 1975. Four or five years ago, I was at London Airport and I remember I was coming through and with security, you have to take a lot of stuff off. You virtually have to take all your clothes off and put them through the thing. And I remember I came through and I was sitting down and putting on my shoes and this guy beside me said, how are you? And I said, I'm very well. And uh, he said, uh, 
you don't remember me. And I said, no, should I remember you? Sorry. And he said, you scored a try against France, he said, in 1975. And I said, he says, do you remember that? I said, of course I do, because it was the only try I scored for Ireland. And uh, he said, you know, why I ask you is, he said, I was there. I was a schoolboy at that time. And he said, I went to uh, the schoolboy seats were all on the touchline. And he said, you scored that try literally within two or three yards of where I was sitting. Oh, I said, really? He said, yes, I ran out and I threw the trickler over your back and jumped on your back. And I sat and looked at him and I said, you know, there's a, a warrant out for your arrest. He says, what, what do you mean? I said, there's a guy up north, I said, called Ian Paisley. And he wasn't very happy about you throwing the trickler over my shoulders. <laughs> so we had a good laugh. <laughs> There's things in life, you know, he sort of moved on, I moved on. And, you know, I, I remember coming back in the plane, he was obviously flying to Dublin, and I was coming to Belfast, and I was thinking, oh, I should have got his name, I should have got his number. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's one of those stupid things in life that you didn't do, you know? The game that you played in, obviously, was the amateur era, uh, and it was a great, great uh, era for, for rugby. And in 1995, obviously, the game went professional. Uh, and what is your view of, of professionalism and how it's gone, Willie John? What is your view of the, of the game now? I, I can understand. I can understand why the game went professional. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a great fan of professional rugby. And one of the things that they did when they, when they took over and rugby people sort of were pushed to the side, they changed our game. And our game is not as exciting now as it used to be. We don't have the Mike Gibsons in our game anymore. Uh, which is a great sadness, you know. They, and you know they have these. It's, it seems now to be all about huge men, sort of uh, physical battle from beginning to end. And most tries are, are scored with a sort of from a five-yard scrum or line-out, where they push, push, and get over the line. And it's all about phases, and it's all about defence. And I've often said that our game today is now a mixture of rugby union, rugby league, and American football. And, of course, players today, they don't play 80 minutes. I played 80 minutes all my life. Every game I played, I played 80 minutes. I, don't, I never left a field in my life. And, you know, I can't see why we shouldn't do that uh, today. And, you know, one of the things that <laughs> I really, I'm maybe of simple mind, they seem to go out now and they train for about half an hour before the game in a warm-up. If they would stop that and play 80 minutes, it would be much better because they obviously tire themselves out. <laughs> Uh, in that first half hour. But no, I'm not the greatest. I don't, I'm not all that fussed on, on the professional game. And they've changed the game. The scrum is now a bit of a... I, I don't understand it at all. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of injury. I don't think I've watched the game for a long time with pe without people being taken off for concussion. And that's one of the big worries in the game, I think, at the present time. I mean, what do you think the game can do about this? Well, I think, you see, I keep saying, why did they change our game? I, I can't remember. I suppose there were people got a knock on the head when I was playing. But we had a different technique in playing. We didn't run in with our head. You seem to have players running in with their head nowadays and the ball in both hands. We didn't, have, we didn't do that in our day. And I asked somebody recently, why, why did they take the ball in two hands and run into two or three players who are in, in defense? And they say, well, they might take the ball off them. Well, I don't remember people taking the ball off me and I had the ball under my arm. 
So and, and we used to fend off, which wasn't which wasn't a dangerous a dangerous uh, exercise. I think technically we were much better in some of the things that we did. And of course, in those days, the professional game has done away with rocking the ball on the ground. And the nonsense that goes on now whenever the ball is taken to ground and there's guys going in and they call it clean out. You know, they're tackling players without the ball. That is not in the law. You cannot tackle players without the ball. And I just don't understand that. The other thing, they're not refereeing their laws of the game. And the other thing, the scrum is an absolute nonsense because they, they sort of push the ball through into the into the into their own side all the time. It's, it's crooked. In our day, you had to put the ball in straight. They're not putting the ball in straight anymore. And, you know, one of the things on the line-out, too, with all this lifting, there was no lifting in our days. And I, I'll never forget, you know, when I look at the game now on television, virtually one and four four and one throw-ins are crooked, but they're not blowing it. It's, it's uh, No, there, there's a lot of it that I, I don't like. And then, of course, taking taking the players off, taking players off the off the pitch, uh, during the game, and particularly in the second or the last quarter, and I remember one of the guys that I played against, probably the toughest guy I ever played against, was a guy called Colin Meads in New Zealand. And I remember he was over here staying with me for a few days, and I said to him, "What do you think of this thing coming off the field?" I said, "How would you feel if they took you off the field in the last 15 minutes?" Well, I can't really repeat what he <laughs> what he said to me, but uh, no, it wasn't our scene. I, I never left the field in my life, neither did he. But, uh, you know, I can't understand why they can't play 80 minutes. Who were the greatest players you played with and why? Well, Mike Gibson was obviously, from a from a home, a home point of view, Mike Gibson probably was one of the outstanding players. But, you know, the guy who I will always put up first is Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards played for a long time. He had so many talents. He not only had the pass of the ball, could pass the ball for a long way. Uh, he had pace. Uh, he had a great eye. He could kick the ball. He could find space when he was kicking the ball. And I remember in South Africa in 74, when we were maybe up against it a bit, and I would say to Gareth, get us out of here. And he put in that big, long raking kick and get us down into their 25, where we could play the game a lot more easily. Uh, he, he could do that. But not only that, he had pace. And he had strength. He wasn't a big man, but he was strong, very strong. And he's the guy that I would hold right up. And then, of course, I was lucky enough to play with Barry John and Phil Bennett, who was outstanding as well. So there were some brilliant players, some great players. And, uh, you know, when you went to New Zealand and South Africa, there were some very tough guys. I've just mentioned Colin Meads, probably the guy I would hold up as the toughest forward that I ever played against. I get the feeling, Willie John, and we're coming towards the end of our of our conversation now, and thank you so much. It's been absolutely fascinating stuff. I get the feeling that, that the friendship and the values of rugby uh, are very, very important to you. Well, you know, when I think now, and I'm over 80 now, one of, one of the things when I sit the odd time by myself and I just think back over the years and think about how fortunate I, have, I am and what I've been able to do, you know, it, it, life is really all about people. And rugby football was all about people. And, you know, I would say there's not a week goes past, but there's some guy from rugby who rings me. Now, this week I've spoken to David Duckham. I've spoken to, Dave, uh, to Sid Miller. 
I've spoken to Stuart McKinney. So it just goes on like that. And that's what rugby is about, as far as I'm concerned. It's about people. And it's about those that camaraderie that you have built up over the years and that respect that you have built uh, during your time playing. Well, listen, we've come to the end. Thank you very much, Willie John. It's a huge pleasure to, to speak to you. You've no idea how much of a superstar you were and, and are, uh, particularly when we were growing up playing rugby to me and all my dad's generation. And people, I think, are pretty much still in awe of you. So wonderful to talk to you and thank you very much. And that was Willie John McBride. And what a life he had in rugby. I found him to be charismatic, insightful, generous, witty, and very human. And I can easily see how inspirational a figure he was to so many men. It was about the rugby, but as he said himself, really, it was about the people. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. This Senior Times podcast was produced by Simon Murta and engineered by Mark Murphy. Mark Murphy.